0: Exodus 40 and today we finish the book of Exodus. Been in it a long time and today we wrap it all up. The tabernacle is erected but at this point it's basically still just, just a tent. If you were to ride by on your camel out there near the Horeb mountain range near Sinai and you were to see the tabernacle you wouldn't stop You wouldn't uh, wonder unless you needed something because it's just a tent. It's covered and um, not all that impressive. But something happens in our narrative today that is really impressive and that is the glory of God is going to fall upon that place and that's what makes it all worthwhile. The glory of God is going to descend I, if I were to say uh, to you, you have just been made the, uh, in charge of a car company, a motor car company, maybe an electric car company, since that's the way things are going, but it's um, not doing so well right now. It's kind of struggling. And the board of directors tells you that uh, within the next year, you've got to cut costs by $30 million dollars. And so you go out of that room and you go, I know exactly how I'm going to do it. And you shut the only factory that the company has down. And you've cut the cost by $30 million. But do you keep your job? Does that mean that the objective has been met? No, because the car company goes out of business. They're not making cars. Whatever their job is... We know one thing, it is to make cars, and you took car making out of the picture saying that that will save us a lot of money. Well, now it has no reason to exist. That is an illustration of what it's like when we as Christians, when we live our lives as saved people and dwelt by the Spirit of God, and we read the Word, we attend worship, we do all of these things, but we do not glorify the Lord. The glory of God is not being expressed in us We kind of drift and we forget and we don't really fulfill the reason why we are here on earth. My dad used to have a cartoon and it showed these uh, people in a swamp. And it said underneath it, when you're up to your backside in alligators, it's hard to remember your main objective was to drain the swamp. Sometimes I feel like with all of the alligators that are around us, we forget what our main objective is. It's not to be happy. It's not just to be self-fulfilled. It's not just to survive or anything like that at all. We are here on earth to glorify God. We go through what we go through so that we might bring glory to God in every situation. We suffer so that we might bring glory to God. We have different relationships so that we might bring glory to God we work where we do, go to school where we do that we might bring glory to God and we don't want to miss the uh, main objective that's why we are here you've got an eternity to be happy you've got an eternity to be pain free you've got an eternity to uh, have all kinds of great relationships that will never go south or sour you've got an eternity to enjoy all of that But now while we're down here, we are aliens, and we are strangers, and we're not of this world. We're ambassadors for Christ, and we are representing Him. And so that is what we uh, must not forget. Now here is Israel out on the desert. They've been out there for about nine months, and it's been a year since they had that first Passover in Egypt. And yet, this is not what they're made for. And yet, at the same time, while they are there, God is to be glorified. They haven't always done a good job at that. Sometimes they would get forgetful. Who is this Moses? As for him, we don't know what's become of him. So, make us a golden calf, they said, that we may have gods to go before us. This is a low point in the nation's history. And yet, you find that God forgave. And in this Uh, story that we're going to read today you will see that God not only forgave them but God is among them and he manifests his presence with them and so like them we don't want to miss the point of why we're here and uh, we don't want to also sink into the despair and the depression and the hopelessness and the uselessness that we feel when we're not doing what we were made to do What is my purpose? What is my passion? What is my joy? What is my zeal? What is it that I rest in? And that is, of course, the glory of God. And this was uh, the deepest passion of the heart of Jesus was not the saving of men, but the glory of God. And then the saving of men, because that is for the glory of God. When you think about that, Jesus had a higher purpose and a higher calling than what we might think. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The Apostle Paul told us that, and that certainly would be true. But if you were to ask Jesus, why did you come to earth? It was for the glory of the Father, which included everything else that he did. That included the saving of souls... That included the healing of lepers, the raising of the dead. That included all of those things. And so when we aim high, it's when we really get things done. It's when we really find our purpose, pardon me, and our potential in everything we do in life. So let's uh, think about that as we read this particular narrative. And let's think about uh, these verses as well. I want to read Isaiah 42, verse 8. It'll be on the screen. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. It's not going to share His glory. We either have it or we don't. We're either going to live in it or we're not because God is not going to compromise on that one thing, showing who He is to a lost and a dying demonically controlled world. So if we're not focused on it, why not? Psalm 79, 9. Help us, O God, of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. You know, even when we think about the Lord forgiving us, saving us, delivering us, he does that for the glory of his name. When we looked this morning in Sunday school and saw Daniel going before the king to tell the king what his dream was and what the interpretation is, he didn't fail to mention something. This is something that none of the people you have trusted in, none of the people that worship like you do are able to do. But there is a God in heaven, and he witnessed to him. Why? God was glorified in that situation. That's why he saves us. In the book of Acts, chapter 12, verse 23, it says immediately, this is when uh, uh, King Herod is speaking and people are going, oh, it's the voice of a God and not of man, and Herod liked that. He liked receiving the glory. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down. Why? Because he did not give God the glory. Can you imagine? Well, what if God did that every time you didn't give God the glory? And it tells us about the purpose that God has. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. And whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So there's nothing left out. It's not reserved for church. It's not reserved for Sunday. It's not reserved for a quiet time in the morning. This is everything. That we do to the glory of God. And then we come to Romans 3.23. You know that. But notice the definition that is given of sin. For all have sinned. We know that. And how do they sin? By falling short of the glory of God. Everywhere you look around the world. And everybody you look at. They have one problem. They fail to give God glory. Man takes credit where he doesn't deserve it. People claim and crow about their successes where they don't deserve it. And they forget that the only reason they have any ability at all, mental or physical or whatever it may be, it would only be there. Uh, it's only there because God has given it to them. And yet they take the credit for it instead of giving the glory to God. And of course, because we know we all sin, we know this is something that is a problem even for us as believers. And so the book of Exodus ends because it's really all about the glory of God. Why at the beginning of the book was Israel enslaved in Egypt? Well, we can go back and look at the pragmatic reasons. But the easy answer would be this. They were there for the glory of God. God was going to do a great work that could be accomplished only through the deliverance of slaves. Well, you're not going to deliver slaves out of slavery if they're never in slavery. So even that was a part of God's wonderful, redemptive plan to glorify his name among all of the pagan nations and the gods of Egypt. Why was Moses born? For the glory of God. Why was Moses spared in the Nile River? For the glory of God. Why did Moses end up in the backside of the desert for the glory of God? Why did he see the burning bush for the glory of God? Why did he go before Pharaoh with Aaron and say, Let my people go, says the Lord. He did that for the glory of God. Why did they endure the plagues for the glory of God? Why were they set free for the glory of God? And why did they end up at the Red Sea for the glory of God? And why did they come here at Sinai and stay there for nine months? it is for the glory of God but if you were driving by again on your camel heading somewhere and you looked and you saw something happening you go what is that oh oh there's putting up a tent everybody puts up tents everybody has something like that you would have been unimpressed but for the Israelis that were there when that tent was erected and they saw the full significance of it something Absolutely amazing happened. So look in Exodus 40, 34, and we'll begin reading there. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, then the children of Israel could go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey until the day that it was taken up. So they knew exactly what to do by the cloud. Verse 38. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and fire was over it by night. In the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. That 40-year journey to the promised land. That 40-year journey, this is how they traveled. Don't you know that was an amazing, amazing sight. And they would see the cloud go up. And they would say, it's time to pack up. Get everything together. Take the tent down and uh, put everything and get the livestock and get the kids it's time for us to go. Where are we going? Doesn't matter. We follow the cloud. And when the clouds stopped, they stopped. And as long as the cloud was over the tabernacle, that's where they stayed until it was time to go on somewhere else. So when we talk about the glory of God, think about it like this. Number one, the goal is the glory of God. And one of the things that we uh, have to consider is if we were in that caravan that went by and saw them putting up a tent and we surmised that it was nothing more than a tent, that's what everybody does, we'd be right except for the glory of God. The glory of God is what made this tent into the tabernacle that it was the glory of God is what made this into the place where the people of Israel could really meet with God this uh, the glory of God was what really made this a place where atonement would take place and redemption would take place year after year after year in place after place all the way up until Solomon's temple is built. This is quite a thing, but it's not a, quite a thing because of the stuff that's in it. Yes, it was impressive on the inside with all of the gold and the embroidery and everything like that, but it was just gold. It was just embroidery. In fact, it would be no different really than the pyramids. What did you find in the pyramids of Egypt? Well, archaeologists have found in there a lot of gold and a lot of religious artifacts and a lot of things that they thought that their pharaoh might need in the next life. But it was dead. It was a place of rottenness. It was a place uh, of, uh, you know, just hopelessness and a place of the end, uh, not of any kind of beginning, just what it was. And they'd find a mummy in there or something like that and... Uh, It became something for a museum, something to take pictures of, something to write articles about, and nothing more. Well, the tabernacle wouldn't have lasted that long, being a tent, for one thing, but it would have been nothing more than that, had the glory of God not come upon it. Anybody can build a tent, anybody can spend money, anybody can be elaborate, but unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down, as the old hymn says, it is all in vain. And so we've got to think that we have a target. And the target of our lives, the target of our church, while we may do a lot of other things, if it's not for the glory of God, then we have certainly missed the mark. And missing the mark, falling short of the glory of God, is the way sin is uh, defined. And so it's a horrible thing to think about the fact that in so many ways, we may be missing the mark by doing good things, religious things, even biblical things, but we've got to do them for the glory of God. As we said a few weeks ago, we exist as a church, number one, to exalt Jesus Christ, number two, to equip saints, number three, to evangelize the lost, and number four, to engage the culture in which we live. And we do all of that, of course, for the glory of God. So we have a goal. Secondly, I want you to notice... The Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Have you ever noticed how humility is such a problem for us? Such a problem for the people of God. And that's why we have to be commanded, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Why do we have to be told to do that? In the sight of the God and what we know about the God that we serve... Why would we ever have to be commanded that? Because there's something within us that wants to be exalted. We want to be weighty. We want to be significant. We want to be powerful. We want to be, well, just go to Instagram. We want to be an influencer, don't we? We want everybody to pay attention to what we say. And we want it to have meaning and weight. And in political terms, they call that gravitas. But you'll notice here the most important man in Judaism. They still talk about him today. They attribute his name to the law. In Jesus' day, they called it the law of Moses. Moses is a big, big deal. But notice what happens. Secondly, when the glory of God comes, there is great humility. Verse 35. And Moses is not able to enter the tabernacle. Why? Because of the glory of God. There is something about God being glorified that kind of puts us in our place. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't mean to insinuate that Moses was somehow, you know, overstepping things and was too big for his britches or anything like that. Don't mean that because the Bible says that Moses was the meekest man on all the earth. But I am saying this, in the eyes of the people, when God is glorified, Moses had to step aside. When God was glorified, man has to humble himself before the Lord. And there's a tendency that we have even today of exalting people, exalting people, of making our lives to be built around a person or their approval or their thoughts or whatever it is. And we must never get to the place to where we worship a human being or become a man follower. And when the glory of God comes, then people are put in their place. All of us are. We humble ourselves. What do you think these Israelis were doing when the cloud of glory fell upon that tent that they had built? I guarantee you they worshiped. I guarantee you that they were put in their place. This is the great God That brought us out of of Egypt. Can you imagine as somebody elbowed Aaron and said, that's a whole lot better than a golden calf beat that. Because they couldn't. The glory of God put man in its place. And I wonder today if we expressed more of the glory of God. If more of the glory of God were around us and in us and through us. Would it put people that we witness to in the proper place? Would it help us as a church to be in the proper place in humility and submission to God instead of pushing for our own agenda, instead of pushing for some kind of power, instead of pushing for some kind of title, instead of finding fault and criticizing fellow sinners like us? What would it do? If we really saw the glory of God. What would it do in our family? What would it do in a marriage? What would it do in a workplace? What would it do at the voting booth? What would it do in the halls of government? What would it do if the glory of God was seen and expressed like this? So it's no longer about Moses. He's kind of in effect just neutralized. He can't even go into that tent that he helped build. Why? Because the glory of God is there... And he doesn't dare, doesn't dare do it. He's neutralized. God is magnified. It makes me think of John the Baptist who said, he must increase and I must decrease. And that ought to be kind of the goal of our lives. We decrease as we grow older in the Lord and he increases. People see him more and more and more. Uh, Somebody said, but the disappearance of self... In the vision that God is all. Uh, That's what Andrew Murray said. Pardon me. That humility is nothing but the disappearance of self. In the vision that God is all. And so are you disappearing as you grow older? And I don't mean that in a bad way. I don't mean that in the withdrawing way. I don't mean that in the pouting way. I don't mean that in the fading into obscurity type of way. I mean that in this. What is it that marks you and marks your life above everything else? While passing through this world of sin and others, your lives shall view be clean and pure without within. Let others see Jesus in you. That's what we are talking about. Humility is nothing but the disappearance of self in the vision that God is all. Is anybody seeing that in your life, especially as you grow older in the Lord? Number three, it's uh, the guidance of seeking God's glory is what we want to see next. 36 and 37 are the verses we get that from. Here's the cloud, we stay here. The cloud is rising, we pack up. The cloud begins to move, we follow the cloud, and then the cloud settles, we stay right there. There's a guidance in all of that. Wouldn't it be nice if every decision that you ever had to make Looking at a new car, which car should I buy, Lord, and a cloud would settle upon? Wouldn't that be nice? Who should I marry? And then the cloud settles upon this person. Ah, now I got it. What job should I take? And then the glory settles in on your boss. Nah, probably not going to happen. But uh, who should I vote for? You know, wouldn't it be nice to have that kind of direction? And yet at the same time, Through the word of God, there is a sense where we can have that if we live our lives in this particular way. What pleases the Father? What would Father God approve of? What brings the most glory to God? And what if we spent all of our money thinking about the glory of God? What if we made relationships based on the glory of God? What if we reacted to other people when they were rude, when they betrayed us, when they hurt our feelings? What if we acted about, uh, uh, toward that with the question, how can I best glorify God? Not how can I get revenge. Not how can I make they need to know what they have done. Probably won't matter if they're the kind of person you say they are. But what if we really did it for the glory of God? What if everybody went to work on Monday morning and instead of going in for a paycheck, what if you went into that place and you clocked in for the glory of God? What if you were assigned a chore of something menial, something beneath you? Clean that up. And what if you did it for the glory of God? What if... All of the things we did were guided by the glory of God. If it doesn't glorify God, there are some places it can't go. To go to a bar, to get drunk, and to do all of that, even though you have a great time, do that to the glory of God? I don't think so. What if you were to return evil for evil? You were to scheme and to plot and get back at somebody because of what they had done for you, and then you dedicate it to the glory of God? I don't think that's going to happen when we focus on the glory of God, it may not be quite the way it was for the children of Israel, but it will guide you into the places you should go to the people you should minister to and befriend and learn from. And it will also keep you out of Certain places, maybe even certain churches, it would keep you out of because God is not glorified when His Word is not proclaimed, when His Gospel is not proclaimed, and when He is not believed in uh, faith. And so we think about the guidance of the glory of God, maybe not the same way uh, that it happened physically, but it's the same concept. The glory of God led them. The glory of God motivated them, and the glory of God stopped them. There were times it put on the brakes. There were times, I'm sure, they were saying, why are we stopping here? We could go 10 more miles. There's an oasis over there. Why are we stopping here at this place? The glory of God is what guided the people of God as it should today. Everything is by Him and for Him, the Bible says. And so... um, We think about how much sin it would keep us from, how many bad decisions we wouldn't make, how many times we wouldn't stumble into the ditch and into a pit on the pathway of life had we just kept our eyes on the glory of God. And then fourthly, notice the affirmation that comes when God is glorified. That's in verse 38. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle. Well, anybody could build a tabernacle, a tent. Anybody could do that. And a lot of people had. Other cultures had. You say, well, what if there were some Bedouins out there in the desert, and they were close to Israel, and they were doing the same thing. They packed up, they traveled, they stopped. They packed up, they traveled, they stopped. What's the difference? I mean, you know, just a Bedouin community, nomads, except for one thing. Wherever you looked upon them and on their tents there was one thing you wouldn't see. Yeah, you'd see goat skin, yeah, you'd see poles, yeah, you would see all of that, but you wouldn't see the cloud of God's glory. You wouldn't see the fire by night, would you? There was something different. And the glory of God was something that affirmed Israel, we are different. We are the people of God. We're not Egyptians. We're not Ishmaelites, we're not Midianites, we're not anything like that at all. We are Israelites, the children of Almighty God. Why are we different? A young boy might ask his father. We are different because God came to our father Abraham and revealed himself to Abraham. Took Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees into the land of Canaan. He told Abraham everywhere that the sole of your foot rests will be the land that I will give to you and your descendants. We are the people of God that through Joseph we ended up in Egypt. And because we were blessed by God and we became mighty in number and mighty in our influence, Pharaoh became afraid and he enslaved us for 400 years. We could do nothing for ourselves but God Almighty sent a deliverer for us. Nobody else, no other culture had this story, but He sent a deliverer for us. And after the 10 plagues, we were taken out of Egypt and we were by the Red Sea. A lot of people have been by the Red Sea, a lot of people have been trapped in a military conflict. But in our case, God parted the sea and our ancestors walked across on dry land, and the armies of Egypt were drowned in the waters. Why are we different? Because while we were in the wilderness on our way to the land promised to our father Abraham, manna rained from heaven, and water came from a rock, and we drank until we were full, and we ate until we were full. And later when we complained, instead of punishing us, God gave us quail. And God is the one that took us into the land. And when a generation came up that would believe God, the waters of the Jordan River were parted and our people came over and they marched around Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. And we began to conquer the land of Canaan and that's why we're here today. Son, we are not like anybody else. We are the people of God. Can I ask you a question? Do your children know that? Do your grandchildren know that? When they go off into a secular school that's going to teach them that they're descended from monkeys, that they are lucky, that they are a mutation, that they are an accident, that there is no God, there is no creation, and there is no afterlife, that there is no morality, there is no definite right or wrong... Will your child be able to say, I can't believe that? And the teacher say, why can't you believe that? That's science because I am a child of God. And then be able to recount everything that God has done. You see, the beauty of the Jewish race and the beauty of the Jewish religion and why it has survived all of these years through persecution and holocaust and difficulty is because they always knew who they were. And the first thing they would learn, the first Bible verse they would learn, is "Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart." On battlefields where Israeli soldiers to this day are fighting, that when they die, oft times the last words you can hear them say, "It's not mama. It's not the name of their girlfriend." But Jewish soldiers will die saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. That's why they've survived. The hand of God working through that, teaching them. Moses was told, you shall teach your children these things. When you're rising up, when you're laying down, when you're sitting, when you're eating, when you're going out, when you're coming in, there's always a time to talk about God and who He is and what He has done and who we are because in the glory of God there is affirmation. And Christ in you is the hope of glory, the Apostle Paul says. Where is the glory of God? It's in you. And when you think about the glory of God, glorifying Him ought to be our goal. Glorifying God brings humility. It puts us in our place. We're not on our own. And our lives are not the sum total of what we can do. And the wisdom that we have. And the lucky breaks that we have had. No. It is the glory of God. God did all of this. And the glory of God guides us. And some friends may say. Hey let's go over here and get high. You deserve a break in all of this. And the glory of God within you says nope. Sorry, I can't do that. And the glory of God motivates you in other ways. You talk to people about Jesus. You teach your children those Bible stories. You come to church. You give to the work of the Lord. You are somebody who is involved in the lives of other people. Why? The glory of God propels you to do those things. But it's also the glory of God that affirms you. You see God working in your life. You read his word and he speaks to you through his word and tells you who you are, that you are a child of God, that you are saved and you are secured. that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You know that even in the deepest parts of your trials, that all things are working together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose Why do you know that? Because he has glorified himself in saving your soul. I can say today that if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord, God is going to be glorified one day when you are forced to bow before him and say that Jesus is Lord before you're put into the lake of fire forever. And God will get glory out of that. You will worship Him. You will confess Him as Lord. For every knee shall bow. That's you. And every tongue will confess. That's you. That Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Have you ever thought about that? Even at that horrible moment. God is receiving glory. So when I... Say, trust Christ as your Savior and Lord. And I say, do it today, because you're not promised a tomorrow. There are a lot of people all over the world that think they're going to have a Monday, and they're not. Might be you, might be me, could be, could be. That officer, that motorcycle cop in Edmond the other day, he didn't think he wasn't going home that night. He didn't think his life and career were going to be ended that day. And probably as a policeman, if he had thought about it, he said, I might get killed in a gunfight. There might be an ambush. There'll be bad guys involved. I bet it never entered his mind he'd be at a stoplight. You just don't know. And so I want to say to you, there's only one sure thing. You are going to die. But here's the glory of all of it if you will admit your sin to God ask him to forgive you based on what Jesus Christ alone did through his death on the cross believe that he was raised from the dead and surrender to him as Lord of your life the Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved that's glory the glory of God coming into your life And for those of you who are saved, to live your life taking in His Word, to live your life praying to Him, to live your life following Him, that's what it means to glorify God. He consumes your life. He consumes your thoughts. And you have assurance of your salvation. And you have the affirmation of God upon your life because of the presence of His glory within your life. And you have the love of God, the power of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God. You have the assurance that you're walking in the plan of God. You have the promises of God to to, um, sustain you. You have the fatherhood of God. Think about this. God is able to make your life With all of the heartache, all of the pain, all of the regret, all of the missed opportunities, and use you for his glory. This is a can't miss situation. This is something that is going to happen whether you want it to or not. So you might as well cooperate with God instead of resisting Him. You might as well walk with Him instead of walking the opposite way because it's going to happen. But oh, the joy that happens when we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word. What a glory! There it is again, right? He sheds on our way while we do His good will. He abides with us still and with all who will, what? Trust and obey. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus. And so in spite of the heartache, in spite of the pain, in spite of the regret, in spite of the missed opportunities, God uses people like us, abject failures, and he uses us for his glory. Ask the Apostle Peter, what's that like? I denied the Lord, and I even knew I was going to do it. The Lord even warned me, and I did it anyway. I thought it was the end. And on the day of Pentecost, God's glory came upon that place. And God's glory came upon me and 3,000 souls were saved. And I embarked on a journey where I even ended up with books written in the New Testament in God's eternal word. You tell me God can't use a dirty vessel. He does it all the time. You tell me God can't use somebody who is scarred and flawed and has failed. God does it every single day. And that's true for you as much as it is for the Apostle Peter. Augustine, the Bishop of Hippo, a thousand or more years ago said, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. You got a restless heart? Find your rest in the Lord. The glory, the glory... Of the Lord. You want to take your earthly tabernacle. As Paul called it. Your earthly tent. Your temporary dwelling. That's just like everybody else. That's what a doctor would say. It's what a scientist would say. Other people would look. And they would. Uh, they've met you. And somebody goes. Yeah. Did you meet Greg? Uh, who, who was that again? Well he's the guy you met. He's a pastor at Graceway. Ah think so i don't really remember i prayed with our former mayor mick cornett but don't go up to him and say hey you know my pastor he would have no idea he said well you're just a nobody am i so are you i guess if it's looked at in the things of the world if only you could see The cloud of glory and the fire of glory that is in you. You're not just another tent on the landscape. You are a tabernacle. The dwelling place of God and the place where His glory resides. What an affirmation. Walk with the Lord. If you've never trusted Him, please today trust Christ as Savior and Lord. And if you have, if you have, understand what your goal is to glorify God. That's what makes you successful. And understand the humility that comes with that is supposed to happen because God is to get all the attention and all the glory. And understand that the glory of God will take you places you never thought you would go. And it'll keep you out of some places that maybe your flesh would want to go. It'll protect you. It'll guide you. And understand this. The reason you have any assurance of all, at all that you're going to heaven is because that glorifies God to assure you that you are indeed His child. His spirit beareth witness with our spirit that we are children of God. What? An affirmation that is as we walk through this world that wants to marginalize us neutralize us quiet us and tell us just go to your church and do your own thing but keep your mouth shut in the public square sorry can't do that because I'm living for the glory of God Father we find our rest in you Forgive us when we try to find it in stuff, when we try to find it in people, when we try to find it in human achievement. And forgive us when we get our eyes off of the glory of God. And I particularly pray for lost people that their heart is being stirred and drawn by you with that irresistible grace to the cross of Calvary, to humble themselves and to bow before you and to confess Jesus as Lord and trust you as full payment of their sins to the glory of God the Father. And I pray that all of us would do what we do, not simply because we like it, not simply because it makes us feel good, not simply because it's our passion, But we would do it for you and for your glory. And others would see that in us. And we would be affirmed by the presence of the glory of God in our life. That's our prayer. Bless us now as we are dismissed. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.